welcome to the Kick Sass podcast. I'm your host, John O'Landon, and in this show, we're going to be sharing excerpts from a live in-person SaaS growth event that uh, I host here in my hometown of Toronto. A little about me, I'm the founder and CEO of Hubly, a B2B SaaS company that helps private schools find prospective parents and engage them throughout the entire enrollment journey. This first episode is a recording of a recent webinar in June 2019, where we host Julie Fetterman, who is a sales and customer success expert at LinkedIn. We'll jump right into this first episode with some of the questions and answer segments from that day. I hope you enjoy the format and content we go through here, and I look forward to sharing future episodes with you from these live SaaS events that we host here in Toronto. As far as a little bit about me, I uh, have been at LinkedIn for almost six years, and about half that time is in business development and sales. I was a non-form of LinkedIn's top performing sales reps globally. I got a free trip to Hawaii. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) I realized that I uh, enjoyed sales, but was passionate about it in the way that I'm passionate about education and empowerment. So that's ultimately what informed my career to transition into customer success to help train people like myself to be the best versions of themselves mm-hmm. and to help do the best by our customers as well. And so that's been a really great and fun journey. Before that, I was actually in a tech startup um, and have had all sorts of fun experiences along the way. So I'm really, really excited to be here. Thank you to the couple of folks that are on Zoom. I'm happy to do my best to answer some of your questions and uh, happy to be a resource both here tonight and also after the fact. If you have anything you want to my way, happy to share my two cents. Um, before I get too deep, um, yes, I will get in, so I have to do there's only a handful of us here today. A little exercise so we can all be connected. And for those of you who have never done this before, it's a really cool trick to have up your sleeve if you happen to be at an event and you don't want to throw business cards around, per se. It's <laughs> 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 really easy way to just simply connect with people. So um, for those of you who are virtual, I'm sorry, but hopefully you can still follow along to learn how to do this. If you click on the LinkedIn's mobile app, and you click on the two people in the bottom left, you'll see the little people icon at the bottom. You'll should hopefully notice this overlays little blue dot to the right bottom corner here. It's a little hidden, but it's this little blue dot here. Looks like there's a person with a, a little green dot. No, but you have to turn on exactly. Yours is not on. Oh, where it says yeah. So there's a middle button at the top that says find people nearby. Yeah, it's on, right? So you got it. Oh, exactly. Depending on the the phone you have and the version of LinkedIn, you might be asked to turn on the find nearby. Um, So thank you so much for that. And then once you turn that on, you'll be able to see everyone who's around you, and in one click, you'll be able to connect. Oh, cool. I didn't know about this feature, and it's like an everyday. There you go. It's very nifty, yeah. really cool, and I highly encourage you to use it. That's really cool. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you don't mind that I'm being inviting. Yes. Please, that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought of everyone. <laughs> Awesome. So feel free. My pleasure. 
So, where do we want to start tonight? Talking a little bit about where you mentioned where sales uh, touch points and success touch points can mm. potentially intertwine. I think yeah. hilarious knowing what you do, you're trying to automate my job. And our platform carries a human as well. <laughs> Maybe not a team of 10 people, but just one person. <laughs> So I'm happy to start talking a little bit. Feel free to jump in, ask me questions. Mm -hmm. It's really dynamic. And if anyone else in the room has any expertise or any feedback that they'd like to share, let's keep this super fluid. It's casual. Um, the best way I like to think about the role that I do in customer success is that I'm the hairdresser for my client. Mm -hmm. uh, for the person that I'm working with, the, the person who is spending money with us. So because my core role responsibility is more about enablement, training, community management, consulting, as opposed to having our customers sign docu-signs or agreements and buying more from us, that customer is usually going to be a little bit more open with what's really on their mind than with perhaps if I'm partnering with sales, that person who's solely focused on their quota and their numbers. And so I would say at all times and all touch points, there's opportunity for that person, the customer success person or people, to potentially be probing about opportunities that could lead you to uncover an upsell or maybe point you in the direction that this customer is either doing really well, very happy, or maybe not so much. Maybe they're a potential terrorist. And that can help you better position your sales partner. Sorry, I'm looking at the chat and just can't hear Oh, they can't hear me. Uh -oh. You have the mic. I know. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see. Sure. I don't want to unplug anything. I can also just turn it up. I know. Testing. Testing, testing. Can you hear me? Yes, we're good. Okay. So we might need to like pass the mic. <laughs> if anyone else in the room or I can just repeat what people are saying. Uh, okay. So real quick, just for the folks online, I'll just repeat where what I was sharing. So the way I view the person in the customer success role is that of almost like the hairdresser. So for that customer, that that customer success person is supporting. So that customer um, is potentially more likely to share how they're really feeling or where there could be opportunities for upsell or indicators of potential churn because that customer success person is tasked with roles and responsibilities that are typically more about consulting, change management, training, enablement plans, and the like, as opposed to that sales rep who is typically just fixated on their quota and their number and who are they going to be renewing and for how much. So that was the first thing I shared. Yeah, good idea, let's pass it around. Uh, I love the comment thread here. Uh, so so that, that's sort of how I think about customer success and sales. There's a lot of really great opportunities to collaborate. So depending on your business and the size and scope of who you're doing business with, uh, generally speaking, the statistic is that there are at least 6.8 people involved in a buying decision. 
Mm-hmm. So we call that the buying committee. Mm-hmm. And 6.8 people, especially if, say, you're in sales and you're really busy and you're trying to maybe operate across a lot of different customers, that can be a really challenging thing to do. So your customer success, exactly, your customer success person, not only in these nice little conversations, can they uncover little tidbits of maybe who to go after, can also partner very closely with that sales rep to help build relationships with more of these, say, 6.8 people. And again, that might wax and wane depending on the nature of the people that you're working with. Um, Lots of great opportunities for collaboration might also include strategic touch points through that customer life cycle. So uh, at LinkedIn, we do things like quarterly business reviews and what we call health checks and even just little status update meetings. And there might be opportunities to partner closely with that person in sales or co-host that meeting together to help not only show up really nice in the eyes of that customer, make them feel like they really do have a good united team in front, Mm -hmm. but also allows both of you to hopefully forward your own agenda. So hopefully that starts to answer some of how we're thinking about sales and customer success collaborating together at a high level. Um, we, we actually, in my previous team, had a hashtag going called essential partner. Mm-hmm. So customer success is seen as the quote, quote, unquote, hashtag. I'm really not doing a good job of being a millennial. Hashtag, yeah. hashtag essential partner to sales. Mm-hmm. Any follow-ups or thoughts? Yeah. So, so what, what, um, um, so you're saying average 6.8 mm-hmm. uh, people. I don't know if you and, want and the mic or okay. you want me to yeah, restate it. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so, so what, um, like, was there like an average deal size you were, you were working with? Um, no? No, um, not, not in particular. Mm. Uh, the statistic is not ours. I don't recall exactly where it came from. Could be like Harvard Business Review. It's mm. if some reputable source that's yeah. not us, I promise not making it up. Sure. But it, it plays out all the time. Yeah. So I've worked with all shapes and sizes of customer. And that person might not be the person signing the contract. Right. It might be people who fall under. Um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with the rapid model. So, um, and I'm going to totally butcher this, so maybe I can quickly Google it. So the rapid model is essentially a model that's used for decision-making and it's an acronym. Um, so R-A-P-I-D, let me just get this right because we are recording. Um, <laughs> I can stop. For dun, 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 dun. No, 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 we're good. We're good. We're good. Um, and so each of these roles um, each have the letter that all spell rapid. Mm -hmm. So you have the recommender, you have the person who's more of just an input, you have a decider, you have a performer, and you have the person who executes on the agreement. Um, And so that's something I highly recommend you take a a little Google on. And so each of those people that are in 6.8 might have different layers or different roles in making that decision. Someone might just purely be an input, but they might not be super senior. Um, So that's where it's really helpful to have that conversation explicitly 
with that customer that you're working with. That's something that we do a lot of, hopefully at the beginning of that partnership is almost mapping out who's involved in what, how decisions get done, how how would a program roll out, who are all the people that we should be involved with, and even what they tell you might not fully encompass um, that full, say, rapid model or that full 6.8. I don't know if I answered your question, but. Yeah, well, so so like at LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. um, so obviously this, we're talking this like Mm post-sale, like, and uh, like sort of harvesting uh, opportunities. I mean, hopefully out of like a, a good relationship that's, you know, beneficial for everybody. But like, um, is, is there like a, uh, do you have some, some, some numbers around the percentage of sales that get upsold or, or the, you know, or, or like just an example from maybe a team that you've worked on? Because um, be, I'd just be interested to, to know how important it is um, you know, because, well, so one thing that kind of rolls around in my head sometimes is uh, because when you're, when you're like a bootstrap startup, you have to really think about where you're going to focus your resources. And it's like, should I be growing? Should I be, <clears throat> should I be like farming my existing, you know, customers? And because, because if I do that, I'll probably, you know, because there's all these upsells we think we can, you know, create and, and know that we can, or we've tested it, but it's like we're limited with, you know, just getting procedures down to figuring out how to do it. And, and with a limited team, it's like, well, I'm going to, you know, I've just got to keep growing with initial customers and just trying to figure out like when's the right time to invest into it. So I'm just wondering like, like what you've seen from just your own experience, like how, how what percentage of customers get upsold or, or what, what really moves the needle on bringing in that additional revenue? I think that's a fantastic question. And I, I, I didn't have any preparation questions or anything <laughs> all off the cuff as I'm doing a little bit of Googling uh, from time to time. I promise I'm not returning texts. So uh, there's something called the, I might be totally butchering it, the Pareto principle. Yeah. 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 Where 80% of your business come from uh, 20% of your customers. And so thinking about how we invest in customers, um, I would say is incredibly important and in that uh, I would say that does, that is quite true from what I've seen at LinkedIn. Um, at LinkedIn, the way our teams are situated is we have an acquisition team responsible for net new business. Mm. And when they sell a customer, that opportunity is then flipped over to our, what we call relationship management team mm. or our farmers. Yeah. And they are responsible for some degree of upsell. They do have a quota on their head for a specific percentage that they do have to upsell across their whole book. Although many customers will will just renew flat and hopefully minimal churn. Right. And in customer success, we tend to work very closely with those people that are farming to make sure we have a good pulse on that customer. So the, so the relationship managers are mm-hmm. actually closing the upsell deals? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So that's how LinkedIn is situated. I know across companies, there might be more of like a hybrid role of like both a hunter farmer hybrid, like depending on what company you're at, Uh that's just how LinkedIn is is situated. And so I would say, especially for those hybrid roles, uh, what tends to fall by the wayside 
it's very funny. I've seen both. So people either totally ignore their existing customers because they're too eager to just hunt or the exact opposite. People get a little bit complacent and they purely uh, rely on their existing customers and they forget to prospect mm-hmm. or they, they don't like prospecting. So they yeah. just don't do it. Right. So I would say in general, uh, your consistent customer base is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly valuable, not only for upsell, but also for if and when those people move on to new organizations, they're either going to sing your praises or be the devil um, for when you're trying to grow your business. And so a really great way to think about your customer base um, would be making sure you're really well aligned on their success criteria. So I talked with yeah. you a little bit about this yeah, in, 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 in our conversation. So it's really important for any customer is to understand what success means to them. Mm-hmm. So you might have your own internal metrics and be like, oh, you are off the charts. This is incredible and amazing. And that was never either agreed upon or communicated effectively or aligned with how that particular customer views success. So it means success for you might not mean success for that customer, which can result in a pretty nasty disconnect because come say renewal time, that customer might ultimately churn. So that's where defining that as early as possible and reinforcing and realigning on that as often as you possibly can uh, is incredibly important, which can help you position upsell. And across your customer base as well, hopefully you already have some form of prioritization metrics, depending on the space that you set in. So where where are your customers, where um, there's a a high likelihood of success to buy and a high potential size of price. So you can sort of think about it as like a two by two of a high likelihood of success and high likelihood to buy. Um, and so being able to portion your customers in almost that two by two can help you figure out what time you're going to spend and, um, and to what degree. So which customers are going to be um, sort of like your easy transactional ones, which ones are going to be more of your say, strategic ones and big bets, and which ones are perhaps not worth investing your time in. Right. So obviously a customer that might have a very high size of prize, so it might be a really big deal, but might not be as likely to buy. That might be like a, a big bet that you might choose to invest in versus one that could be a really huge strategic play that you might want to try to put a little bit of extra oomph behind to just maximize that deal that might be more likely to buy. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's relatively <laughs> clear. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Do my best, like audiovisual. I love four jazz quadrants. Hands. I love four I quadrants. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Google's, uh, is that like can I like easily find on Google or um, is that like your own? Method? That that one, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if that one has a name. I can I can take that offline and, and see. Sure. Um, I know it's something that we talk about a lot at LinkedIn um, because typically we have books. Uh, that are all filled with named accounts. Mm -hmm. And so we rotate these books every fiscal year, which is very challenging because as soon as you get to know your client base, you just wipe and start from fresh. So why do they do that? Ah, it's a really good question. It's like, is it keeping you on your toes? It, well, it keeps you on your toes. Um, I, I do agree that having fresh perspective and fresh blood in some of these relationships can sometimes be very helpful. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes personalities gel better or worse with certain customers. There's a small percentage of customers that I think 
commercial reps can hold, quote unquote, year over year. But uh, long story short, it puts us in a position where we have to very quickly and swiftly figure out where to spend our time for the year. Because if you think about a customer that might be in that either big bet or say strategic, because it might take more time and runway to, to work with, you're going to have to figure that out pretty soon so you can put in those touch points through the course of, say, that year if it takes that customer up to a year to buy. So depending on your business and background, you might not have that little uh, variability there, mm -hmm. which can actually be really helpful. So you can really invest in those relationships because some customers, depending on what you sell, what business you're in, can take quite some time to buy. Mm -hmm. you know, right. Especially if you're in education. Or yeah. And how does, like, because um, I think maybe it was last time we had this, like, last, uh, you know, <clears throat> there was a discussion around the difference between, like, account management and customer success. And it's like, I think, I don't know if it was here or somewhere else, but I, but so, um, the, you know, sort of the definition, the, 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 the defining factor seems to be, um, just customer size, like enterprise versus like SMB oh. or something. And I was just wondering, Interesting. that's just what I've heard. And I'm wondering if, if you've thought it, because I know that you guys have really large customers and mm -hmm. a lot of small customers. And, and uh, like, what's the size of customer where, you know, it, or is there a threshold where you guys get involved um, as opposed to, let's say, somebody that's just, maybe doing a few hundred dollars a month on ads or something. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a couple of really cool things. Um, so I'm going to talk to the thresholds first. Uh, the way LinkedIn thinks about customer success is actually a little bit different across business lines. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the process of transitioning business lines at LinkedIn. We have four B2B business lines at LinkedIn. Um, now I will have been in three out of the four. So just trying to see it all. Yeah. And what's very interesting is, although I'm in a very similar function, the way they uh, attribute the support of customer success is different. So in my former position, uh, customers will have had to spend above a certain price threshold so total contract value in order to qualify for customer success support. Uh, underneath that spend value, that customer will only have self-serve resources. Uh -huh. So it's actually uh, a potential carrot to encourage customers to spend a bit more. Or if a customer is, um, so in this business line, it's all seat driven. So and because it's defined by contract value, if that customer really wants to work with someone who's in a customer success role, then they have the option of actually um, having a longer contract term so they technically spend more money. So say if it's a $50,000 uh, minimum, if they only are spending 25,000, if they purchase for say two years, uh, even at the 25,000 mark, they can then get customer success support. So that's actually been very often talking about sales and customer success working together. I've been on many a pre-sales call where they kind of want me to do like a little bit of a pony show and kind of ask right around and say like, this is the potential person that you could be working with if you spend a little bit more money or if you sign on for an additional year. That's how that business line operates. Yeah. However, what I'm learning is in my new business line, which is also seat driven, um, it's LinkedIn learnings or acquisition yeah. of 
linda.com exactly now being rebranded as LinkedIn Learning. Um, typically speaking, most organizations are purchasing this type of licensing model for their entire company, generally speaking, at least in the corporate space. And so the way they attribute their um, resources is actually entirely based on seats. So how many seats did this customer buy, regardless of spend? Oh. So generally speaking, you know, someone buys a lot of seats, they're spending a lot of money, but it's done in a slightly different way. So those are a couple ways to think about it because the way your specific business is might actually fall more nicely in one versus another. Mm. Now, what's important and interesting to think about, and this is something I've seen um, one of our orgs at LinkedIn going through a transition through, is thinking about your scalable resources. So scalable resources are really helpful, um, not only for customers who don't qualify for personalized customer success support, but it also helps your, your customer success team or person point that customer in the right direction. So their time is better spent with higher level activities, like being more of a consultant, helping with change management. What's interesting that goes back to your introduction at the very beginning is customer success. We're really trying to figure out what it is. Yeah. You know, you go into a bookstore, you look at books on sales, there's thousands yeah. at least. If you try to find books on customer success, there might be maybe tens, yeah. not a lot. So an idea that um, has been prevalent in one of the customer success orgs at LinkedIn is the idea of we are very much writing the book right now. Yeah. So all I'm speaking from is my experience of what I am seeing and doing. Um, however, you might find that you are creating new processes or, or seeing things that make more sense. Um, you mentioned a little bit of this, um, the, the definition of account manager versus customer success manager. Mm -hmm. And you said the difference mainly being the size of customer that you're working with. But yeah, that's been the, the only reason that are, are, I guess, distinction that I've really come across. Yeah. Because, um, so, I mean, how, how would you talk about, I mean, because uh, you, you don't have that, or do you have that role? Um, so I, I would think of our account manager type function as that relationship oh, manager. Okay. So we same same kind of idea yeah. that that person has a quota. Our um, they are supposed to be um, renewing and hopefully upselling and in some cases cross-selling uh -huh. um, those customers. And customer success, the team that I'm on, is a totally separate function. Uh -huh. And so the way I think about account management versus customer success is account managers are there to keep your current customers happy and flowing more from a commercial lens. So they have a number on their head. They are very much responsible for renewing and upselling that customer. So a lot of the activities that are driving what they do and how they engage with the customer are all commercial driven. Mm -hmm. So whether it's uncovering, uncovering more people that might be in that 6.8 buying uh, committee, but more so having those conversations about maybe ROI and things like that, more from a strategic buyer lens. Mm -hmm. The customer success role, at least in my humble opinion, is more of a partner role to the sales rep. So there are a lot of conversations that I have about utilization, about enablement, about change management, about deployment, um, 
and more um, who, who are going to be our champions, you know, those types of conversations, understanding what matters to that organization and how we can start to build an ROI story. So that's where some overlap happens with sales. Those conversations might be with different people. It might have some of the same people, but it might be actually with different people. So in my previous role, I was working with a lot of heads of learning, enablement, um, in some cases, sales leaders as well. But I would say my sales point of contact, they would typically be also a little bit more focused on connecting with, say, sales leaders, heads of revenue, heads of operation, and other senior leaders in the C-suite. So that's where I see a little bit of a difference. Um, if you do have two separate functions and two separate teams, you might want to also think about how each role would be measured. So generally speaking, anyone with a commercial title would typically have like a monetary measure, like they have a quota that they're responsible for, and hopefully they're going to smash it and earn your company lots of money. Yeah. But customer success and thinking about how they're measured has been a very highly debated topic. And in fact, at LinkedIn, that's also an area where there's discrepancy yeah. and that we haven't quite figured out. Because if you think of that customer success partner working very closely with sales, you might want to see if there's some degree of overlap that they can work together on. But if they have the wrong types of metrics, then they might be focused on the wrong type of behaviors. Right. So how do we inspire the right kind of behaviors in someone who's acting kind of like a consultant? That's also, not to get into like, too much of a sidebar here, but that's also how in customer success, there's, there's almost like a, some people think of customer success as customer support. Mm -hmm. I do not see it as customer support. Mm -hmm. I typically see customer support as typically being an IT resource, typically being maybe a scalable resource. In some cases, there might be something that you might need to escalate or address if it's like a really big issue. But generally speaking, I see your customer success resource of that of that slightly higher elevated level consultant. So they're truly helping that customer be aligned with whatever they bought to their core business objectives and priorities and measuring results along the way. So therefore that customer feels really good about potentially buying more and or renewing by the end of that agreement. So, you, so you're like making sure that they understand how to leverage, you, you know, whatever it is you offer and that they know that the value they're getting is aligned with their Exactly. Goals. And their definition of success. Yeah. And right. so, so making sure that they have the right process and resources put behind it on their side, too. Um, what tends to happen is a customer will buy something and they'll say, okay, great, you're doing everything for me. And maybe that's your business and that's totally okay. But in some cases, that isn't the case. They do need to bring in maybe some key people, maybe they need to build um, maybe a tiger team around the implementation of this or who's going to play certain roles, or maybe maybe they're going to print out some collateral that announces this cool new thing that they're rolling out at their company, who knows? Um, so there's, there's a very often some disconnects that happen when we don't um, set those expectations early and realign on those expectations through the customer life cycle because sometimes things change and people move around, people leave, um, priorities change, companies 
move around, grow, shrink, etc. So that's why it's really important to have a lot of these conversations. But if that customer success resource is chasing what I call chasing tennis balls all the time, so running after things that are not truly going to um, move that customer forward in a really productive, valuable way for the service or product that you offer, then that's not a good way to spend your time. Right. Have you found any conflict? Like, is there... Is there any sort of common places where there's tension between sales and customer success? Or? Oh, all the time. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a very fine dance. And in fact, um, at least internally at LinkedIn, a big piece of conversation is how do we have meaningful and productive working relationships with that relationship manager partner in our case or that sales partner? And so there can be conflict for many reasons. So the customers that I see being a priority, meaning customer success, might be a customer who is maybe very unhealthy according to a specific metric or series of metrics. Like, oh my gosh, this customer is very unhealthy. I need to make sure since they're the worst off that they are getting some TLC so we get them right on track. That sales partner might perceive that customer to be a very low, that same customer to be a low priority because that customer brought a three-year deal, full penetrated, there's no upsell potential. And they're like, you know, especially at LinkedIn, they're like, by the time that customer renews, it's not even going to be in my book. So I don't care about that customer. I want you, customer success rep, to purely focus on all the accounts that are up for renewal in the next two quarters. So that's where it's very important to build meaningful and strong relationships with those sales partners and be very open and honest. And that's where making uh, some compromises along the way can be very helpful. So I I try to schedule regular touch points, like little one-on-ones with my sales partner. So we're in lockstep and alignment because week over week or every other week, however often would make sense priorities also change. And I always think of it as a 50-50 partnership with a little bit of wax and wane. Mm-hmm. So there might be a quarter where, yes, I need to lean in on some stuff that might be a little bit more in, um, I say that sales partner's priority area. And then likewise, if I need a little bit of backup and support, so maybe I need that sales partner to build up some of those executive level relationships at a, a lower sales priority account, but still really unhealthy account, then we have that push and pull together. Um, I would say that's an example of a conflict that can happen. Um, I mean, just two people working together, sometimes people don't don't get along. Um, sometimes people have different communication styles, like all the things that can happen with working with people. Um, that's another complexity. Yeah. And also just expectation setting. There are very different working styles. Um, I've got a lot of sales partners that assume that I am, um, uh, that they are the only priority that I have, that they're the only person I'm working with. And so they try to demand the the world from me. And they also think that I work on weekends and evenings as well. No, I don't. I try not to. So that's where being very clear about your priorities and your bandwidth can be very, very helpful. Yeah, interesting. So when you're seeing sales partners and you're also 
Exactly. Depending on what you call it at your business. So, so the, the question was the definition of, of sales partner. Um, so, uh, so I would say, cause I have actually worked with people, um, who do net new business acquisition as yeah. well in yeah. specific instances too, like, um, an account executive who is responsible for net new business acquisition, who is trying to prove out, say a pilot and renew that customer, um, after say a trial period, that's another example. So any version of sales partner, but more conventionally, um, most customer success managers are working with existing clients um, and the person responsible for renewing or upselling that existing client has many different names. It can be account manager, relationship manager. There's probably more than I can think of. And like I think that. it varies too, like depending on the business, right? Like totally. for example, like where I'm working right now, I'm customer success, I'm an app manager, I'm marketing, sales coordinator, I'm like everything. But like the way I would define customer success is that like um, our job is to ensure that our customers are successful by using our product. Mm -hmm. So with our product, they're more successful and the customer success manager's job is to ensure that they're using all the key features that would help them get wherever they want to be. Yeah, it, so I think that was a really great point made. So depending on the organization, and this is something that I've seen evolve at organizations, the roles and responsibilities that fall under, say, that sales partner, account manager person versus the customer success manager um, can sometimes be very different. So um, I, I mentioned sometimes customer success can be seen as customer service. Yeah. Customer success can also be seen as a glorified trainer. Mm -hmm. So they're purely and only focused on training. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when I started customer success, which wasn't like too, too long ago, um, I'd say a majority of my time was actually spent doing training sessions. Yeah. And then our organization actually realized and said, wow, we have very talented people um, that should be spending their time doing other things. Yeah. We can try to scale training sessions a little bit more. We yeah. still do some training sessions, but they are limited and they are customized and they have a, a purpose because training um, is very commonly th is thought of as the medicine for everything, right? No, okay, not. let's throw a training at it. Let's throw a training at it. But very often training is just one little piece of the puzzle. No, a lot of people don't want to do training. Yeah, necessarily. exactly. That's a whole other conversation <laughs> yeah. about how people actually learn. Yeah. And yeah. very often training is, is not, it's not generally customized enough and yeah. doesn't have enough application for someone to actually use it and be yeah. successful. Um, in fact, any more than five minutes of someone talking, unless they're like a super fancy speaker, maybe I fall under this as well. No, I'm kidding. Um, and, and people either stop listening or they fancy. Those <laughs> I know, I've got very fancy <laughs> earrings for those of you who can't see me. Um, they, they don't retain the information. Right. So totally. uh, yeah. I, I would say that that's something that I, I, I wouldn't be surprised that over time could possibly change because a customer success manager role uh, should really be focused on some of those higher level tasks mm -hmm. to ensure that that customer, like we talked about before, is so really, so you're kind of like on a consulting level you're talking about. So you really have exactly. to be like a, an expert in like the, you know, the, the, the area of the application. You have to be, that's where the talent comes in. It's like customer success is more about it seems to me from what I'm hearing from you, mm -hmm. <clears throat> like a trainer is, you know, somebody that can communicate and can do some training and, 
almost anybody can do can be a trainer because you get a rubric and you get a course and you, you get you learn how to train you learn how to teach a course uh -huh. whereas being a consultant you really have to know your stuff and you have to have some experience and you have to you have to have like a, a higher level of communica communication yeah you know abilities to do that so we actually have some some questions over here and i, I just, sure I just wanted to comment on on what you just said is if you work back and understand what will make a customer rebuy, those are typically the, the answers that the customer success manager is hopefully going to shed light on for that customer. Mm -hmm. So whether it's applying it appropriately, whether it's measuring and understanding ROI correctly, uh, yes, application and learning how to do the thing is part of it, but I would say that should be minimal. Maybe it's implementation. So just making sure that they're guiding the customer depending on whatever goals and outcomes they want to achieve, mm -hmm. that they are just pointing them in the right direction and guiding them based on best practices. Strategic from, advice. Exactly, yeah. based on other maybe similar customers or similar right. size customers or similar implementations. Because mm -hmm. um, like we talked about, if they're just chasing tennis balls, they're not using their time in the best possible way. Right, yeah, that, that really clarifies things for actually. Really I'm so glad. I'm yeah, on very really little great. sleep after the Raptors <laughs> game last night. I know. We don't need to talk about the. Yeah, that's <laughs> happened, oh, yeah, that was so nice. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was having stomach ache. I know. No, we do. I was stressed. Yeah, was uh, and, and by the way, while I was watching it, 50 seconds before the end of the game, right as Kyle Lowry got, uh, right, we were like three uh, points down, the bell cuts out on me. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh. <gasps> The most stressful. I just listened outside. Yeah. This is the worst possible time. I'm just like, okay, so like what happened? Yeah, that was that was like it couldn't have been a worse. Could have been a, a more like pregnant pause. You know. Did it come back before the end? No, oh, I, no, I missed it. Mean, anyway, I'm kind of <laughs> glad I missed it. But uh, I okay, so, yeah. so Mark's got a, uh, so Mark Sellen, he's actually the Hubley CTO. Um, uh, so he's asking, can you say a bit about the importance of reminding customers of the benefits the organizations are seeing? You can read, you don't need to yeah, read yeah. for you. <laughs> um, reminding customers of the benefits. And Mark, feel free to, to jump in and uh, just, you know, voice your question we can hear you if you want to talk sure. um yeah I, I kept it mute because i have a bird here and you guys don't want to hear that um <laughs> you know you did touch on it just a little bit and i'd just like to hear it more um about your thoughts on this question uh you know obviously if we see um customer success as having a service role um one of and we all and you also mentioned the importance of uh you know retention as, you know as being a function that they're going to be serving. Uh, how how specifically would you suggest or what ways have you seen successfully utilized to remind customers of the benefits that they're actually getting from the service? I would say talking about uh, how we measure success, like I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, should be one of the first conversations that you have with that customer and how your product or service aligns 
with their goals and priorities. And that is something that you should circle back with the customer to remind them of. If you have, say, measurement ways of that you've agreed on with the customer of doing that, uh, at least quarterly, if you can. Um, maybe more frequently, if that makes sense. But I would say quarterly is typically a good digestible um, cadence to be able to do that. Uh, it's incredibly important to your point because out of sight, out of mind, or again, like we talked about earlier, that customer might think that they're not getting any value. Um, and in fact, they're actually getting a ton because you can see all the metrics and they just might not know. Or those conversations aren't involving the right people. So based on who are in what roles, like we talked about in that 6.8, and maybe in that decision-making uh, rapid model, maybe you don't have that core, say, senior level executive buyer, that um, the economic buyer, as an example, in any of those conversations about uh, value that they're seeing. And that might be an exposure that you really need to have. They might not need to be on it quarterly, but maybe at least halfway through their contract, if that makes sense, or halfway through the year, if say you're working for that with that customer for about a year. Um, I would say another really great way uh, to show the value of what that customer is gaining is from stories. Oh my gosh, stories are one of the most important things that you can have. Um, we do, uh, or we try to do surveys with our products that our customers leverage at LinkedIn, um, both qualitative and quantitative. Uh, but from time to time, there's not an appropriate match. So the customer says, like, we don't want you to send a survey to our end users. Um, but sometimes we, we ask them if they'd be open to us reaching out to some of their heaviest users, as an example. So some of the people might be most engaged. And we to be able to human and put faith that and story is tremendous power to move people even bots <laughs> and that's that's not something that you're currently doing maybe along with quantitative information here's the roi based on the metrics of success that we agreed on at the beginning then that's going to be a huge opportunity to be able to lean into um, you see like on people's websites Things like another like random little tidbit, um, just in general, is if you can really try to get to know what's motivating the specific key people that you're working with. Mm -hmm. So, as an example, if I'm if my main point of contact to roll out this program if they are really trying to get a promotion as an example in their organization. So hopefully you're building some form of relationship on a human level with them, aside from just business, um, you find out that they're, you know, what's in it for them, right? They're trying to get a promotion. The conversation can very easily transition to a, uh, all right, what can we do to make you really good in the eyes of yeah. your manager? <laughs> That's going to both open up to you, but also maybe do more for the sake of your program being successful versus not. Um, yeah. Randall, this is actually one of the things I think about like, customer success, like helping the customers like, become successful and make sure that they, they, uh, 
they achieve their goals, right? Yeah. And their own uh, professional goals. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, they do look good to in front of their managers or yeah. their director or their VP. Exactly. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Um, and, and so bringing this, this back to your, your question, Mark, um, just that thought about success stories and metrics. Um, ideally, those are relating back directly to the core problems and objectives that you are hoping to solve with that specific customer. And those core objectives, problems, goals, may completely differ from customer to customer, even if you have a very similar kind of solution. You might see some common ones pop up. That's why that is one of the most important things that you can do early on, along with defining what success means to solve for those problems. Is that helpful? It's very helpful. It actually, uh, as and thank you very much for that. As a follow-up question, would you suggest providing um, to, to the contact uh, some kind of document that they can provide to the other stakeholders that would demonstrate these benefits? In other words, like in the quarterly report, would you suggest trying to take their um, the problem as they have defined it for you on an individual level and then create graphs or some other deliverable that might be then passed up the chain? I love that question. Um, how great. Um, so it leads me to be thinking about structured communications and how important that is. And by structured communications is thinking about um, communicating to certain populations of people in a way that's going to resonate to them. So like I mentioned earlier, if you can invite any of those key senior stakeholders to a live meeting, that's always going to be better because it gives you an opportunity to get to know what makes them tick and what's going to get them excited more. But that's not necessarily always a reality or maybe one person can make the meeting, but some of the other peers might not. So I think being able to craft something like an executive summary uh, can be very, very effective. And so that can outline some of the key qualitative and quantitative gains that you are getting in a very succinct way. Um, so keep in mind with like executive summaries, there's a lot of really great online resources on how to build executive summaries very effectively. Keep in mind that you want to keep it very simple. You're contextualizing any of the data points they don't just say 47%, say if that's really amazing or not. Like you have to actually give a little bit of emotion behind that. Um, and, you know, uh, make sure you keep your audience in mind. So if the person who might pick this up from someone's desk, if they don't know about what's happening, um, you might need to add a little bit more color in that executive summary. I would be hesitant to make it too verbose with too many, say, slides and graphs and things like that, because especially if something is not being presented by someone on your team, there's a very high likelihood that it lacks all context for someone who might potentially just pick this up on a and I would say might be something that could just get them excited enough or whet their appetite enough to encourage them to actually join, say, a next meeting where you could go a little bit deeper on visuals and graphics. Helpful? Excellent. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I want to meet this bird that you have. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> he's, he's real, I promise. <laughs>
I love it. Uh, Thanks, Mark. What wonderful questions. Um, Teresa, also, Teresa, Teresa is actually our, our COO. Um, she's just asking uh, a question as well. Oh, important metrics compared. So is that metrics for for like how they're being measured at work or uh, metrics for the like the customer? I think it's, uh, sorry, hi. I'm just oh. uh, I'm going to try and make this a little quick because I got my kids here. So, geez, sorry. Yeah, um, kids. It's great. <laughs> busy household right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the metrics I'm trying, I'm, I'd like to know about is actually more internal. So, because we want to be able to keep motivating our team. And if there is no clarity on the direction and what the goals are, then obviously, like, you know, uh, it's going to impact our clients at the end of the day too. So in your um, expertise, like what would you say is an important metrics that we should be aware of or um, maybe consider to bring into our strategies so that we can then uh, in turn also, you know, bring the results to our clients. I hope that makes sense. I think so. I'll start talking. You let me know if this makes sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think it's helpful to try to understand what makes a healthy account. What are some of the, the metrics that you might already be measuring that would be the biggest indicators that would lead you to believe that an account is, say, healthy or doing particularly well? I would say those are some of the key metrics. And in fact, in some cases, in some companies, they've compiled that and created their own score. So they maybe weighted some of those key metrics above a certain threshold, and they've compiled a specific score per account to define whether that account is quote unquote healthy or not. Um, Up to if you wanna take that extra step, but that's something that I've seen done quite a bit, including internally at LinkedIn. Um, and so that would be a metric that I would say is really of importance for the person in that customer success role. The account manager, um, if, again, those are two separate teams. I'm not speaking to if someone's wearing all the hats. I would say the account manager should truly be focused on, say, upcoming renewals, biggest growth opportunities um, that, that are going to be on their plate. And then they'll have sort of the, the rest, like based on that prioritization that we were talking about earlier on, um, and so Eric, who, who's, who's churning more meaning on the customer success side then? So that's a really great question. I was literally just about to get to turn. So churn, John is totally psychic. Um, so churn is, I would say one of the biggest areas of potential overlap. Hmm because churn obviously hurts the commercial side of the business. Mm. Um, That relationship manager, account manager, whomever, that manager uh, is not going to have a great day if they hear that a customer of theirs is going to be churning because that hurts their bottom line and how they're measured. I do see churn as a joint effort in hashtag essential partnership Um, because hopefully if a customer is very engaged, aligned, seeing value, um, you have lots of points of contact and, you know, they love you, all this great stuff, then hopefully they are, are not going to churn. Obviously there are outliers. Stuff happens. Business. No way. Yeah. Right. (laughs) 
I recently had a customer that decided to churn that totally blindsided us who uh, verbally said that they were going to renew flat. Um, So sometimes things happen that are outside of our scope and control, but I feel a very equal responsibility with my sales partner to try to mitigate that churn if there's anything that we can do, uh, but also when that churn happens. So although as of right now, it's not built into my say compensation, I do have a performance metrics of, of, a, of a goal of try to maintain across all the accounts that I support and customer success, try to maintain um, a specific percentage of churn and below. So they don't tie that to your compensation, but it is not obviously yet. a measurement of your whether you're gonna stay there or not. <laughs> exactly. And, and quite frankly though, I, I mean, It's interesting because we have different ways of being measured at LinkedIn. Um, But as far as like exactly how you're getting paid, churn is is not currently part of the compensation package, but it is wrapped into um, the results portion of how we're measured, say, in our performance reviews. And the way LinkedIn operates is the way we get paid more money is typically merit driven. So your performance review has to go really well. And we're measured in uh, three different ways. Uh, It's called leadership leverage and results. So that's why a lot of LinkedIn people, we take on a lot of projects. We do a lot of things to help um, for the company and it's very cool. And under that results component is those performance metrics. Mm -hmm. So again, if you have a goal to stay above or or, sorry, below, I should say a certain churn number, um, as well as any other means of being measured, then um, that's sort of the section we would fall under. Because, I mean, I have spoken to other customer success orgs who do have churn built into their compensation. I see it personally as a little bit aggressive um, because sometimes customers churn for the right reasons. Yeah. And a customer success manager. That's, that's, a, that's a product issue. Exactly, product yeah. issue, or, or maybe that sales partner shouldn't have sold to that specific customer. I've seen that happen. I've been in that situation. I've never sold to the wrong person. Right? John has never sold to the wrong person ever. (laughs) (laughs) Never happens. Exactly. Exactly. Just need the money. So and so in the spirit of thinking about what motivates your employees, that's a really great way to create a disengaged employee feeling like they they can't be set up for success or they can't make money even if they're doing all the right things. Um, So I would say it's a fine balance to try to figure out, and it's something that's still an ongoing conversation, how to pay customer success managers. So generally speaking, what we see and what I feel, um, mainly a base salary with a small variable component, like a 90-10. My previous role, I was 80 20. So, in comparison, when I was in sales, it was a 50 50 net new acquisition, 50 50. A real coin toss. And (laughs) is Julie going to eat dinner tonight? Who knows? Um, And and, uh, and then our relationship manager business, the account manager business, just because we do have those separate segments, um, is a 60 40. So mm-hmm. depends on your org and what makes sense. What happens at LinkedIn might not. So where was the eighty business. twenty? That was eighty percent salary. Eighty percent base salary oh, okay. and twenty percent. I thought you were flipping it around. I was like, whoa, that's true. No, no, yeah. gosh, <laughs> no. So um, it it depends, and we're still figuring it out uh-huh. as of right now. 
Um, Teresa, did, did that help answer your question? Let me know. Point me in the right direction if I, I missed it. Yeah, definitely did. Yeah? I mean, okay. I don't want to speak for Teresa. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you definitely nailed it. And I think it definitely gave us a few, um, I, like more than a few ideas to really consider because metrics isn't just about one key component or um, under one department or category, right? It, it just really is a 360 piece um, to complete the loop and, and everything. So thank you. Thanks, Teresa. I'm so interested about this book switching annual. I know. <laughs> like that, that's like, what happens if uh, somebody turns right after somebody else takes over? It's like, who gets, who gets, that's kind of like, that's like every time a new president, it's like, well, I made the numbers get better. I did yeah, probably not in the turn case, but there there are um, a certain percentage of accounts that you're allowed to hold. So if you've been really deeply invested with a specific customer and they are um, they they trust you, you have great relationship there, and they're adding on and growing, then that's a great opportunity to hold that account. Um, you know, there might be some. So you get to pick that yourself. So, um, so I or? I don't personally oh, in okay. customer success, but the anyone in sales will because um, everyone's books do turn over, um, which is very challenging. But to your point, the the turn piece is very sensitive. So sometimes that does happen. Um, depending, it's a case by case basis. So if we know that there's a potential turn <laughs> risk coming, um, I, I like to think that we try to operate um, in the best interest of the customer but sometimes we call them turn bombs mm. so uh, an aura of relationship manager will receive their book and they'll get in their handoff note from the previous relationship manager hey these guys have already told me that they're going to turn and so that relationship manager um, has to either mitigate that churn, which can very much happen. It's totally possible. Yeah. Even if someone tells you they will, um, sometimes you can lessen the blow. Like it depends obviously in yeah. the space that you're in, but sometimes they just have been feeling neglected or they haven't, um, they haven't understood the value that you've been providing. They're for whatever reason, viewing the usage in a totally different way than you're viewing usage. Sometimes it's just a disconnect and you can remedy that. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see it going either way, yeah. and that maybe that's why this makes sense because yeah. there's there's you could see obvious reasons why sticking with somebody would be good, but obvious reasons why switching to somebody else might keep the account exactly and save it. Um, <clears throat> who deals with like uh, like retention uh, uh, with these kind of accounts? Like, what, what's what's like? Does somebody else get pulled in? Or, like, is it the relationship manager? Like, when somebody's unhappy mm. and you're really trying to keep them, and you know, like, is that who, who typically does that? Good question. Uh, it all depends on the specific customer and, and why they're unhappy. Okay, cool. um, so, uh, generally speaking, the people in driver's seats are that relationship manager yeah. and that customer success manager, and. and Typically, hopefully you have a, a good idea of like what's going wrong. Like, was it something that brought them the wrong way? Is there some value that we're missing or whatever? But 
There are times where we do try to bring in a more safe senior point of contact. So maybe a senior um, person in sales or someone else. It depends though. So as an example, um, if our core point of contact uh, or the person who might be unhappy is someone is senior in sales ops or product, sometimes we'll match them with a leader from our organization in operations or product. Because sometimes it's just the, the type of conversation to be had is just one that we are not capable of having. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also it shows good faith <laughs> if you are bringing in your senior leadership to to their senior and leadership. And importance. Exactly. So it's not all the time, but I would say it's in select instances mm -hmm. where you think that's a useful tool in your toolkit to be able to use. How often do you rotate the accounts? Because if you're seeing uh, uh, every quarter. Annually. Well, annually. At LinkedIn, it's annually minus a segment. That's how. Yeah. Um, that's how often we rotate. But I've heard from many, 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 many companies. They think that this is hilarious. And quite frankly, the downside is even within that year, movement does happen. So even myself, I'm moving into a totally different business line at LinkedIn. So I'm very conscious of my transition that's happening right now, right before our book switch, because we moved to um, a different fiscal year to align with Microsoft. So we would oh, July yeah. start. Yeah. Even, even the fact that you guys are now going after Watson, which is going to put a lot of the jobs of the customer retention people in jeopardy because the whole system is changing, right? Because they want, I know that LinkedIn is looking for more, mm -hmm. not having to do the guesswork, but make sure that that customer retention and the churn is being already predicted by a machine. So that's probably going to be changing the whole dynamic of what the world is about as well. I was about to happen soon. Yeah, where, where I would see, and I am not involved in those decisions. So for me, it's pure speculation, but based on the types of conversations that our uh, customer success leaders have yeah. is they want to find ways to be able to help us spend time in the right places. Exactly. Higher level things. And that's all the human errors and all the back and forth and make sure that the customers are getting more optimized solutions. Right. And, and potentially also for, say, um, so we're talking, just in case you can't hear, we're talking about um, automated machine learning, so automated ways of predicting churn. Um, and, and so it's very, very interesting space. So aside from being able to help customer success spend time in more high-impact ways, um, I'd also, what was I trying to say? Um, Kelly had a point. So, uh, uh, totally lost my train of thought, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> that happens. Yeah, yeah it's I very know. interesting because, like, I just recently signed the contract with Watson. Did it? So, 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 and I, I would, uh, I would assume that would we got it back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, also for servicing. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. It's, it's been a long day. Uh, so, also being able to service our. Um, customers who don't qualify for official customer success support, as well as our fully penetrated customers. So if a customer is fully penetrated, there's no upsell, um, it might not make sense to actually put additional human labor into that deployment to that degree, depending on the size, right? Uh -huh. um, so they might decide to totally realign their human resources should they choose to move a little bit more into machine learning aside from so, yeah, that probably makes sense on both ends of the spectrum like smaller customers well that's why the structures are coming into that 
the, yeah. the arena because I gotta be honest with you, it's just not based on the area that I'm in, it's just not realistic for small to medium-sized businesses to be able to afford the customer retention or customer success <laughs> offerings that the big guys at Hinton are offering. So that's actually one of the main reasons why there's been more churn recently than in the past, because it's just not like you were saying. As a small business, I got to figure out pick one or the other. where am I going to put my yeah, stores, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's become a huge issue, which has really frightened LinkedIn and made them think, you know what, we need to evaluate the way that we're going after these customers. So what are we looking at? We're looking at a cheaper option, which is Watson, is what they're going after right now. But again, it's just not serving the small businesses that cannot afford that, that service. And yeah. they're the ones that would keep going to suffer and then you've got the disruptors. But also there. like, you know, AA can be used internally to support you. So Absolutely. there's, there's, you know, there's, there's email, there's email AI ads that like to tell you what to say yeah. to a different type of person. Totally. Like while you're writing it. Yeah, yeah. or it's just being automated. is something that has enough manpower and money to be able to automate this whole system. And that's why there is a team dedicated mm -hmm. um, to making sure that, that they can optimize this uh, service so yeah it's an interesting world but it's all completely changing and i think it's a time for businesses to think of plan b exactly and and that's where i i see those types of innovations um to supplement uh human labor or again redirect human labor so to your point there might be lots of companies who can't afford to hire anyone in a customer success function or if they can hire a very minimal amount of customer success with maybe one or two people, maybe something that's automated that can point them in the right direction, that can help them spend their time on those customers that are going to provide more towards your bottom line um, based on some of those key metrics that we were outlining earlier. She's a wonderful business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great opportunity. I know, I know, it sounds really great, but uh, I think it's, it's great. We're writing the book in yeah. customer success innovation happening and uh I, I think this is just the beginning thank you for that yeah the, i think the lemonades of the world are coming in the disruptors are coming in to help those small businesses that are not getting uh that are not getting service what are lemonades of the world oh you ever heard about lemonade so lemonade I mean, is, uh, is disrupting <laughs> no uh so lemonade if you ever get a chance if you want to do a really um fun, interesting case study. So Lemonade is a disruptor in the insurance industry. Oh, yeah. So Lemonade is freaking out all the brokerage firms because they've come in and they are taking out the brokerage firms. So they're just putting the person that's looking for insurance together with, uh, with a really good uh, service that they've completely modified, very cheap, accessible to anyone. I can get an insurance in five minutes on my mobile phone. So that's what they're doing. So they just finished. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's another one of those too. Like this, this so Lemonade is one that just finished raising about $20 million yeah. just recently. And they keep getting more. They're completely, in, and so they're in the U.S. only right now. I mean, like so much, the yeah, AI is like, I mean, it's not just, so they're doing, they're it's not just like, like, uh, yeah. you know, screw. But they're screw very exciting. Yeah. Legal, like, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. half the contract work that lawyers do is completely. Oh, automated. yeah. And there's that. 
is that you can write your own will now without having to go Yes, it's an app. Yeah. It's like two seconds. Yeah. And the great thing, but the, the, the issue with the insurance industry is that as a, I don't know how, when you guys were the last time you went and purchased insurance, you need a lawyer to make sense of that insurance policy that you acquired. It's absolutely ridiculous. So Lemonade's like, no, no, we're going to take all of this out. It's going to be very straightforward. Um, anyone can understand, and you'll be able to have insurance for your bike, for your home, for your car within seconds. And it's just going to make that that much easier. So they are, so they're primarily in the states right now, and they like literally, you're about to get into a car accident. You're like. And then yeah. you got insurance. Oh, <laughs> 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 your house is burning. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the cigarettes like falling Archaic backwards industry, and that's well, there's a lot of those opportunities. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, we're in education, we're not doing AI yet, but so I was in education Mark, for 12 AI years next month. <laughs> I did education for 12 years, and that was one of the reasons why I left education because really? of the lack of innovation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nicole said, I'm moving this week, and I've gotten about 40 right. lemonade wow. emails They're in the last few days. <laughs> okay, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, education is a meaningless factor. Well, we, we, I just do with private schools then. Yeah, and I was going to say, you must be after private schools yeah. because public schools are... are oh, yeah. Well, York Region, York and TDSB are like particularly brutal. Well, then there's Peel. Peel is the biggest one. Yeah, then it's... Peel's the biggest one? Peel is bigger than Toronto oh. because Toronto is... Um, it looks bigger, but it's so... It's, it's all the place yeah. and in terms of the number of students, Peel is in, But in the U.S., there's a lot of small, yeah. like, districts that are, like, six schools. Where you want to be. Yeah. Well, we have most of our customers in the U.S., but we're just, we don't do public. No. We're, we're basically a CRM for, for yeah. so, um, yeah. anyways, but, uh, right, but um, in terms of public schools, the only way they'll look at you, the only way they'll talk to you is if you know someone in the Ministry of Education. So you wouldn't go after school boards, you go after the ministry. Because yeah. the ministry says thou shalt and thou shalt not. I, I did and that. It doesn't have to be 100% Canadian, and the data has to be Canada yeah. to even look at you. Yeah, no. I, I, did, I, I did. I was. They were doing it way back. You know, I don't want to get into my yeah. history here. It's not, it's a, I'd love to chat with you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. Very history I will never touch again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can understand. Um, <laughs> insurance and One last thought, um, as we were talking about AI and, and the potential for such good, um, is I would say an acknowledgement to, to not think in certain applications, so certain, I would say B2B applications, that it would be appropriate to completely flip. And the reason why I say this is, especially we're talking a lot about value and talking about priorities and goals and objectives for say an organization sometimes that organization has no idea oh, what they are trying to do so in some cases there's a lot of, of deep discovery deep conversation that needs to happen yeah. that that is human to human um, before 
as say AI can completely automate. And that's where I, I see it as a good pairing of being able to scale resources but or application. But if you're looking at the company's data, so the way that the company's doing business, the way that they sold products, the way that customers have stayed with them, which customers have left, which have stayed, why, who's made referral, who's, who's purchased more than they're supposed to, I think that's where the power of AI comes in. Mm -hmm. AI is able to see all of that, and within seconds, where a human would make an error, can tell you, you know what, based on your data, this customer is going to churn. Mm -hmm. This is what you need to offer them, because this other person that was offered the same service, they, this is what you need to offer them, and this is how you upsell them. So I actually see it as a plus. Yeah, it gives you bullets. Yeah. It gives you like silver bullets. would never do. I and agree. it would take so much time and so much effort. Even in the insurance industry, you've got the, the people that come up with all of these benefits and all these plans. That's all being automated now. Yeah. Manulife and Sunlight are actually hiring their own data scientists right. to be able to create those models for them. Because it's just not possible for a human to be able to to come up with those models and make sure that you are yeah. acquiring those customers. You're totally right. And that's where I say supplement as opposed to like totally slip. Yeah. So you're I don't even see it as a supplement. I'm trying to figure out how it would be a supplement and not a total flip. I would trust a machine over the human giving me the output of the data. Yeah, and that's, well, well, I mean, that's where it depends on the application, yeah. I would say, because as an example, if you're trying to have a conversation about um, what a company is looking to do over the next year or so, sometimes there's a lot of layers that isn't purely based on their historical data that they have available, um, depending on the service and the product that you're dealing with. So I definitely see a lot of, a lot of value to be added there and a lot of ways to be able to scale potential connector, and in some cases, perhaps certain applications that I don't have a background in, it could be fully automated, like insurance you're talking about. I mean, that makes sense to me, to the small degree of understanding that I have on it. Um, but certainly, there's certain other applications, as an example, in SaaS, where that might not be able to fully encapsulate every single type of consultative discussion that tends to happen because very often that customer doesn't even know what they're hoping to do moving forward. But you need to coach um, them. But that's a problem. If as yeah. a business yeah. you don't know what you what you need, mm -hmm. I would say that that's an issue. Like that company is uh, not going to be in business. Yeah, well, welcome yeah. to every single one of my customers. Like yeah. they're, all, they're all like running a business. These are all, I mean, yeah. as an example, every single one of, one of our customers are these are businesses run by teachers we're, and we're actually, that's the problem. well, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. And that's, but that's, that's the craziness of the private school sector. And we're in a, uh, right now we're focused on a, even a, a smaller niche. But I would is, say private schools are a business. They are. So when you say teachers are running private schools, no, they're actual business owners that buy these private schools and run. No, no. Just for our, most of our customers were teachers and then they became like directors or, heads of schools or owners that's the majority of our customer base and and they um they really i mean it is shocking how much they have no idea what they're doing like zero zero i, I mean they're in a sort of they're lucky enough that if they just have a great school word of mouth kind of keeps them going and it, it, this is a market where like 15, 20 years ago, that, that actually kept them full. But yeah. the whole landscape is different. And now they're, they're at like 60% capacity across the board. And they have no idea what, you know, what they're doing marketing-wise. I mean, so there's, they know how to 
how to be in the classroom and they know how to develop programming. They know how to talk to parents face to face, but they don't know how to market or be, do anything efficiently. Or, so most of these folks actually, uh, I mean, it's a labor of love. They're volunteering half. Not as a private school, you're making good money. No, you're yeah. Making, you know, really good money running a private school. Some, some of them, like Crestwood. <laughs> some of them, Crestwood, the, the, the big schools, Exeter Academy, Crestwood, these ones make make quite a lot of money, but the average private school is, is uh, the majority of private schools are under 100 students and, and they're just, they're like owner operators, small little, you know. Uh, operations, but um, anyways, again, I'm digging no, no, it's all my own no, but, but, but what you share is super parallel to a lot of customer conversations that I have. Uh-huh. Our customers, they think that their priority is this, or this is where they need to be focusing our even solution on, when in actuality, what they're either hoping to do moving forward or based on some historical, whether that's human generated or potentially machine generated. Um, doesn't align to that. And sometimes there are disconnects amongst people in that buying committee, mm-hmm. even to figure that out. So oh, that's yeah. where you do need in certain elements and certain conversations, certain applications and products. You really do need to have a conversation. You do need to put on a consulting hat. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, information um, is so important and to be used for good um, to make you more effective very often do business, but depending on the sector and industry, they do need a little bit of that decoding and- So I really, I have have to touch on something that you just mentioned, the consulting aspect. So that's how LinkedIn customer success is changing. When the AI rolls out finally, and it is going to happen through Watson, what's going to happen is the customer success people are now going to become consultants. So they're sent to the organizations or businesses to get those information that those people don't know what they don't know, to be able to feed the right data into the AI machine, to be able to get the right output and right information. So that's how the rules are being changed. You're absolutely right. You can't have the machine and just give it to someone who barely knows how to run a business right. and have them drive this. So that's where majority of the profits for LinkedIn is going to come from, is the consulting services. So they're staying huge on the customer success team, but now they're sending um, consultants to, to businesses. And that's what they were talking about in the latest article that I read about them making this partnership with Watson. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so, so the way LinkedIn makes money is, is actually through, through our product. So a customer doesn't actually have to technically pay an add-on fee right. for the services that, that we provide. It's actually right. included. So they purely buy the product. Yeah. Um, we don't, um, in our B2B business lines, we don't actually offer consulting services yes um and so if that's something that's upcoming it's news to me mm-hmm. um i mean we're doing a lot of work with microsoft looking to innovate um there's there's a lot of conversations that happen i'm not personally aware of anything that's coming down the pike so i can't speak publicly and on this that. is not something that's going to happen tomorrow it's going to take time because Sure. <laughs> There's a lot of issues with it. Yeah. But um, I mean, even Google hasn't figured it out 100%. Um, so they're competing with Amazon that's competing with Google. All three of them are going neck to neck to neck to see who the, who the big guy is. But, mm-h
Potentially, yeah. So, so as of right now, we we don't know what we don't know yet. We we can't speak publicly on anything that isn't um, for the record. This is for the record. This is all public information. This is all out there. Read about it. It's all. I mean, that's all I know. I don't yeah so, so so i would take home message and say like we we have tons of data i mean we're linkedin yeah. we use an exorbitant amount of data we can see a lot on the back end so we do have a lot of reports and data and information that helps to point us in the right right direction yeah. um that is just our data and our network and usage and analytics and things like that trend driven data we have a ton of data at our disposal that we use to guide us so information can be used for good um but in in my humble opinion at least there are instances where having a, a consultative conversation um is necessary and i feel like we, we've sort of come to an agreement on that um, yeah. i do want to be respectful of time if there's anything else that we want to chat about um i saw gil's question unfortunately i do not have exposure to this specific program at linkedin i'm so sorry um but is there anything success related anything we haven't touched on yet mm -hmm. feel free i think it was a really insightful dialogue yeah, thank you. I would actually want to know, so like at LinkedIn, does a customer success um, team work with product team? Because you guys are constantly talking to the customer, you know their pain point. Yeah. Right? So you guys would be like the perfect people to, to work with in terms of product development. You are spot on with that. So very often we'll hear from our customers and end users in the field. They'll say, oh my gosh, I wish you had this or this sucks. How can we fix this? Um, so for quite some time, we were liaising directly with our product team. We would try to log tickets. We have a um, product that allows us to add and upvote product ideas and suggestions. Yeah. Um, so some of it comes from us internally and some of it come from what we hear. Uh, what we have, I would say, in the past year uh, or two in my previous business line at LinkedIn released is a external an external client facing what we call community. So they can chat and connect um, if they like, there's comment boards, but we've actually also built in an external facing version of that upvoting and product suggestion space. Yeah, it's a great way to, yeah. to get that kind of, you know, to, to push products, updates and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So because you're typically having the closest touch points to how they're utilizing the platform and understanding their roadblocks and likes and dislikes, that person who's be a really great resource to liaise closely with product and highly recommend that if you work for a business where you don't have that touch point, definitely do that. But if you have an external input, awesome idea to do that too, whether it's in a community, whether you do an ask on a newsletter or a survey, but... I mean, sometimes unless you are having those conversations, our customers are too busy to proactively give that to actually like send in a survey. Sometimes they will. Depends. Yeah. But you also like, under, you know, you also are, you probably know the customer a little bit better than on a product level than they know themselves. Exactly. So because you're talking to many of them and you're, you know, seeing the patterns and the trends. So like your product ideas are like, like the Henry Ford comment is, if he know what everyone asked for, he'd just have a faster horse, right? But like, <laughs> so people really wanted a car. So like, somebody needs to, and that's 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 a great 
uh, you know, like, of course, that's that all, you know, the customer success and product management are those two kind of like very fuzzy roles yeah. that people are trying to figure out. Um, so there's, there's so much overlap there. You're totally right. And there's actually been instances where um, with key customers, I brought in a product person into those conversations. So say we're talking about a specific integration with CRM, um, you know, something like Salesforce. So uh, in my previous business line, our product interfaces with Salesforce. So they have some integrations. Um, and I brought in our product team onto a couple of calls with customers who either have objections to it and they want to dig into that to figure out whether it's a product issue or adoption, whatever, um, or something else. Um, maybe it is an opportunity to get feedback from a pretty influential customer or a use case that we haven't quite figured out. So there's a lot of really great opportunity for collaboration. I think it's a fantastic call out. Mm -hmm. Cool. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. Really uh, I'm not rushing anybody to go. We can all just hang out. There's yeah. Windows, you know. But uh, it's eight o'clock inside just so this calling because just now. Yeah. For people need to check. Uh, there's lots of pizza left. So. Thank you so much. Thanks so much people who are right, virtual. <laughs> They're going. <laughs> I know. I like the little magic. Wow. Okay. Oh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from you. You're very insightful, and you're very you're a very good communicator. You're good at elaborating ideas. Thank you. I uh, I can honestly say I, I didn't have much to go. Yeah, this was just uh, my typical standard, like kind of the same way I started this. Was just like, hey, can you do this? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, right, give me some questions to prep. I'm going to be in New York. Um, I have some time, like in between. Flights on the airport. Yeah. Um, I, soon I'll get I'll get like an assistant to help me with this, and I'll be able to do things like that. Look at like, an AI. There you go. Yeah. 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 So thank you all for being here and listening to me talk for a while. It's been great. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hope it's helpful. It's very helpful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay everyone's gone. Yeah. yeah. I think we're we're gone. Anything else you guys want to chat about? Yeah, keep an eye on what LinkedIn's doing. Protect yourself. <laughs> you gotta know the ins and outs of the company. That's if I were to give any advice to anyone, yeah. being in the tech world as long as I have, you have to know what your competitors do. You gotta know what your company that you're working for is doing and what that means for your role and for your job. Because the company is not loyal to you, they don't care about you unless you own your own business. That's a different story. But you got to know what they're investing in, where they're going at, what are they doing? Because you're going to get, like, you're going to get these type of questions all the time. And you need to be, like, on top of it and understand and say, this is where they're next year. And you can access nothing is private. All of this stuff is public. And they're the ones that are announcing where they're going and what they're doing. They have to do that to their shareholders. So. Yeah, so so what we what we do have at LinkedIn is for visibility. Um, is we actually have all hands meetings every two weeks. So the CEO of our company, Jim Wiener, he actually hosts these and he invites guests across business lines, product, et cetera, to give us a very transparent view. And but speaking on what they're telling you. That's that's understandable. Um, I mean, at LinkedIn, at least, we have very clear cultures and values. I've been at the company for six years. Like I, I actually have like pretty close connections to a lot of the people who are like on some 
leadership and stuff like that by, by virtue of relationship building and just tenure. And they are very, very, very clear on being open, honest, and transparent and constructive. So, so <laughs> it, it's hard to like, come into it. Like, how did they move the thing out? <laughs> so, like, well, this is, I mean, I've been reading, we have Google Alerts set up on any yeah. machine learning, right? And this was just recently announced that they are looking at a partnership with Watson to be able to automize all the customer uh, success things that they're doing and making sure that the. So, is that, is that a particular focus of Watson, like human? Like no, human? no, Watson is incredible. The, the Watson is capable of a lot of um, predictions, oh. not just machine learning and AI, but Watson is not utilized to the point that it can be, mm -hmm. not yet anyway. So are you, are you guys building your own engine or is it based off Watson? Or? It's all cloud based on Watson, um, ASW and Google, so we're tapping into all of them. Oh, yeah. That's why we're able to keep the real price points. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So it's whoever we work with, it's amazing how like base. like AI is now a, it's like a service now it's like a cloud service it's like remarkable like and it's to save money for small businesses that's totally yeah, yeah it's to make sure that you have a play even playing ground because right now the only people that have access to this AI and machine learning platform are the people that can't afford to hire Watson or the Deloitte of the world that have their own data scientist team yeah. or um, like Maggie Life right now, one of my very good friends who is a PhD data scientist is working for Maggie Life, building their system to be able to predict when a customer is going to charge. Exactly what we're doing, they're yeah. doing it in much larger scale, but yeah. only for Maggie Life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're spending, from what she told me, so far they've spent over $10 million on developing this machine, and they're going to be spending even more. Yeah. She was plugged out of school even before she was even done to start working on this project. From oh. And she's Must still be a like, smart well, we, <laughs> it's not even right now in Canada, we have a huge um, need for data scientists. We don't even have enough data scientists in this country. So, a lot of the businesses are going to India or going to yeah. Eastern Europe or they're going to. South America to get data set. That's how we build our team. Our team is based, we have a team in India, we have a team in South America, and we also have a team in Eastern Europe. Oh. Because it's 10 times cheaper than hiring someone here, oh, yeah. and you can't find people to hire here. There's a huge shortage right now. Yeah. So anyone I talk to, any any young people that are wondering what to do with their life, I'm going to be a data scientist. Yeah. And number one is learn. But I like your pain. My pain is years Learn to code. It's like that hashtag that offends everybody. Learn to code. Oh, yeah, that's right. But no, but like those skill sets are so important. That's one of the reasons why I transitioned into the LinkedIn side of the business. So it actually rolls up to one of the main purposes of LinkedIn at a very high level, which is something called the economic graph. And so because LinkedIn is the largest professional network in the entire world, um, if they would be to be looking at something like AI, I could see it more on the member-facing site because members, like regular members, would be like, "Oh, like what do I do about my profile?" I have a specific question that, for whatever reason, is answered in their help center. Right now, it's a very slow ticketing system, so that's where I, I could see something like that. Um, in the B2B sphere, they're very, 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 very bullying and very um, passionate. 
about ensuring that they do get that consultative piece correct. Um, but the economic graph is really cool if you have an opportunity to Google it. So they say it can map out the, like all the jobs that exist in the entire world, all the skills that exist on everyone's profile across the world and figure out where there are skill shortages based on where jobs are. And the acquisition of Lego.com was seen as that last puzzle piece. So how can we upskill the people mm. who are currently in areas where there are skill gaps to fulfill those jobs and be able to move into those jobs, which is really exciting. I was surprised how much Lego.com was purchased for. I was like, I, I mean, was it purchased for? Was it a couple, two point something billion, I think? Billion. But at that time, it was the best platform out there. They did a really good job. Oh, I, I, that's how I built Revolut. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, 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 was, I was a sales guy. But I get this job <laughs> through the public library Yeah, there's a lot of niche little really so I, I mean just personally from what I was doing, which was like learning design and front end development and uh, code like I, I use Linda a lot and then I found more Linda was kind of like everything. Not not actually everything, but went much broader. Mm -hmm. And then uh, but people were using Linda for years. Yeah, like it's yeah. been it's been building a very I mean that's probably, that's really where the value is. Yeah, they is have the is the actual deeply entrenched yeah. customers. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's amazing. And in a competitive sphere, it's like one of the only business lines where we truly have like real competitors in the space. However, in the past few years, we've been actually seeing, uh, so I just went through like new hair on board, so I don't know if I get to board, but know a little bit. Um, and apparently at some of these like key learning development events, um, some of the former bigger players don't even have a presence right now. And now people, leaving the conversations that are happening on the ground, people are actually talking about Linda slash LinkedIn learning. Oh my gosh, look at what they're doing, look at the direction this is moving in. Yeah. Um, so there's some really exciting things that are to be announced on the roadmap that I'm really, really looking forward to. Cool. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see, see what happens. But yeah, it's an incredible company doing incredible things. So anytime you have questions, feel free to. And, and I, yeah, and I actually totally forgot that Microsoft bought LinkedIn. Again, yeah. So I was like, you brought it up. I was like, oh yeah. Which is, it's, it's wonderful. Satya is actually. It's already. It is. It is. Honestly, at first, I, I, I was conflicted. I was like, really so not Google? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, no, I Yeah, it, our, our CEO is one of the most incredible people I've ever heard speak. Mm -hmm. um, if you if you look at some, he has like his mobile courses, and um, he's on YouTube. He's on YouTube. He has some great videos even on his LinkedIn profile. He is absolutely incredible. And so, you know, some of the comments I'm hearing from you are totally valid. Like, you know, be careful; they don't tell you everything, things like that. But Genuinely, they, they walk the walk. They really do walk the walk um, of what they talk about in some closed board Zoom meetings. They, they actually do distribute and talk to us in in sort of a, a bubble of privilege of that. Like, these are things that we cannot discuss publicly, mm -hmm. um, but this is what we're saying and doing and, and things like that. But Microsoft has actually been an incredible partner in that deal. Um, pivots around LinkedIn operating as its own more or less separate entity. They can't, this is the first acquisition from Microsoft. 
if I were Microsoft, where they can't just go in and like swallow it whole. Um, and the deal was was entirely based on that. So that yeah. has been nothing but incredible about mm -hmm. that whole thing. Um, Katya is the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, and just incredible. Uh, he single-handedly is is absolutely transforming Microsoft as an organization um, and and growing at market share well beyond some of the other competitors that um, have been in that space. It's very exciting to see. And now what we're seeing on the B2B side is a lot of co-selling opportunities. So financially yeah. it's been super for LinkedIn. Yeah. And then we also have their infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So it offers us opportunities to do a lot more um, than we can do by ourselves, even, even as this huge network globally. So it, it's actually been amazing. Um, I had my own feelings when the acquisition happened. Um, a lot of people did, from like elation to crying. Like literally people were like very upset. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And and I have to say, like, I, I was skeptical and, and so far so good. There's still like there's still lots to figure out, lots of opportunity. Yeah. Like, I mean it's it's such a young partnership, mm -hmm. but I, I see I see more good than I, I see any potential downside. How much did your job change since the acquisition? None except for she gives you using outlook now. Yeah, using Outlook and Teams. Yeah, Teams. Um, <laughs> I use Teams every day. I know. Outlook, I love it. I don't. I don't mind it. It's fine. Like it does what we need it to. Like that's like the Slack. No, it's like the Slack replacement. Oh. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's 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 fine. Like I, you know, yes. Could there be It's fine. Like honestly, every like I don't have any like major. It's actually issues. no. It's actually pretty good now. Yeah. Because like, yeah. they got to be certain that it. But it's still not a real collaborative. But you can't have more than two people at the same document at the same time without it crashing. Oh, well, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't personally experienced that yeah. now, like, because we, like, we used to get someone, like, we have some self-library documents. Yeah. I'm sure it's not that, like, perfect, like, software, mm -hmm. but I would say, like, from where I was before, using a PC and, like, tearing my hair out and thinking it was crap, um, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't have... I, I didn't have any any real uh, downside, but I would say like in my actual job job, the only thing that's been new is we've been introducing some of these co-selling opportunities. So looking to bundle a couple of key offerings with a couple of Microsoft offerings mm -hmm. um, for full organizations to buy and to incentivize them to go all in. Mm -hmm. um, and so that sets something that we've been just piling out for the past like year and a half or so. So my actual core function has not changed at all. And that's something that they really wanted to, to make sure, like, at least on the B2B space, that's yeah. the space that I can speak to. Um, they want to make sure business is going as usual. Mm -hmm. Each business line is innovating and growing and doing what they've set out to do. Yeah. Um, that's a huge, I mean, it's just a, such a huge acquisition. It is. It is. Because like, like, it's not a small company. No. They communicated very, very well like top down through the whole thing um, because as you can imagine like lots of people were super scared of that left things like that mm -hmm. um, but no I, I see it as a positive cool Here. all right i i personally yeah. have to get running but, yeah. but there's actually no rush for you guys you can still hang out and show there's a staff i'm gonna try to find somebody to give this food to because
It was but usually. Home, it's really good for breakfast. I uh, know. <laughs> I know. Please eat. There's, uh, there's always some folks around around the, the area that I think would appreciate it. So. Yeah, exactly. Here you are. Thanks. Lots of things. Thank you for buying all this. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Listen. Thank you. Um, so, Julie, you mentioned like customer your customer success. Thank you, Julie. Like, thank you. Like, thank you. Thanks for coming. Call message you. Yeah, yeah. Call the people you guys normally work yeah. for. Okay. Um, good Definitely. question. Sorry, I'm gonna take a quick selfie. Well, I can take a picture of you if you want. No, no, oh, yeah. Oh, please. No, no, I don't worry. I'm gonna take a selfie with the thing in the background. You gotta post this all linked in later. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Actually, I, I, can, can we, I, I wouldn't mind taking a picture just. Yeah, you can take it. No, no, so, so when you're done. Yeah, we should take a group picture <laughs> for the meetup. Yeah. So I'm just taking a chance. Very photogenic, by the way. So everyone's just getting into the shot. This is just, okay. I just want to put it on the beautiful wall. Um, there you go. It's like that. Yeah, this is cool. Everyone's on it. This is a pretty good shot. You got all women for some reason. <laughs> you notice that? Because we're talking about girls. Because we're talking about yeah. customer success. Yeah. 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 We're the customer success team. Yeah. Thanks, all guys. And we basically focus on either sales or customer success. Yeah. And it's kind of growth and revenue and retention oriented. Um, the business I mean, like I actually really like this kind of topics and I don't really know what I can't talk about any of this stuff with my wife. Like, she's like, I'm like, hey, you're so good. She's like, uh-huh. I know, same with my partner. I know. Yeah, there was no actual. She, I mean, she's not um, me. Um, yeah, I would say, um, on the customer success side, they're typically looking for um, business Suggest feel free to take a look at the, the 
the job posting if you yeah. see it pop up and see if it makes sense for you in the background. Mm -hmm. um, however, I would say don't think